Hello, I'm Tony Wickender and welcome to this podcast on what will be the first of two budgets this year. It's taking place on the 3rd of March, of course. I'm delighted to be joined by my two friends and colleagues, Claire Trott and John Woolley from Technical Connection. John, Claire, in brief, what are the hot subjects of interest and concern that you've picked up from the market and advisors generally over the past few weeks, just before we get started with the real chat? Claire? Um, I'm happy to go first. Uh, as usual, every, every year we're, we're going through the what about the tax-free cash. Yeah. Uh, we're seeing that day in day out. So that's uh, that's that's the, the hot topic, I think, with, with pensions at the moment. And obviously very, very topical, the, the move from the age 55 to 57 for the normal minimum pension age, which we've just seen the consultation document on as well. Fantastic. And we'll be getting into that in a little more detail in our chat later, just to warn the listeners. Right, John, how about you? What's the hot topics you've picked up just in brief over the last couple of weeks, if any? Well, there's been loads of speculation about changes in capital gains tax because of the mismatch of rates between CGT and income tax. And I think probably there will be some changes there. It's really the, the question of the extent of the changes. And of course, property tax. There's been a lot about property tax because, of course, property values have increased. And um, there, there's a lot of speculation there. So um, yeah. those are the two hot topics, I'd say. Yeah, definitely. It's the same for me, actually, picking those up, but the property one, especially in CGT. So before we get, get cracking on the detailed conversation, just a bit of background to this, really, um, why we're talking about tax and why it's such a hot topic. Of course, we're coming up to the 3rd of March, but also coming up to the end of the tax year. And of course, we have massive government debt, which is what's giving rise to general concern over how are we going to pay it back, basically. Just as a, a quick reminder, the difference between what the government have spent this year, basically, on supporting the pandemic, largely, not entirely, but largely, and what they've got in by taxes. Uh, so that's the deficit. It's around 400 billion. You know, it's, it's a big number. So clearly it gives rise to concern around how we're going to pay it back. And that's why we start to think about taxation. Not that necessarily we have to pay it back immediately. Of course, guilts are issued for long redemption dates and we can afford the interest rates, according to everybody. Interest rates are on the floor at the moment, sometimes negative, but that might not be the case forever. So there's an element of risk in just blithely assuming yeah, we'll always be able to afford it. Um, so there's all that going on, but there is concern generally about at some point we're going to have to pay it back, even though the Institute for Fiscal Studies, the OECD and the International Monetary Fund and of course, our own dear Chancellor said we shouldn't really do anything about taxation dramatically if it's going to impact the economy. The first thing we need to do is get the economy back on stable footing and then deal with taxation. So that that gives us almost a little, maybe a false sense of security that there won't be anything in this budget. I stress false sense of security because you can never, ever be sure with budgets, which is what we'll be picking up on through this conversation. Um, There's also, of course, when you look to where you're going to get your money from, sorry about me talking for a bit in a minute, but just that you'd look to the the three main generators of tax, and that means income tax, national insurance and VAT, which generate around over 450 billion. So you tend to think as a government will look to those first. Point is, though, the government gave that promise before the election in their manifesto that they won't increase the rates, stress the rates of income tax, national insurance and VAT. It does leave certain other things they could do around income tax, NIC and VAT around thresholds and allowances, kind of stealth tax. So then you'd look possibly to corporation tax, and there's been a bit on that in the news recently, and it seems like there's more public support. Why wouldn't there be? Because that's not me, I'm not a company, says the individual. So tax the companies, they can afford it. 
in the press recently over the, well, the last couple of weeks, there's been some talk around increasing corporation tax, not necessarily generally. And we've already got a very low rate of tax, 19% compared to a 23% average in the OECD. Um, but maybe a tax that's more focused, directed to companies that are perceived to have actually have done well, you know, like Amazon and people, online retail generally out of the pandemic. Not sure if the Chancellor's committed to that. You never know with this. You read reports and you don't know if they're true or not. It's just newspaper reports. But corporation tax possibly, I suppose, could be in the frame, given that we, there is some headroom. When we get three billion for every one percent of corporation tax, and we've got a bit of headroom compared to the OECD, twenty-three percent compared to Germany and France, twenty-nine and thirty-two percent. So there, there could be something on corporation tax. We'll have to wait and see. All of these, all the stuff we're talking about, is we'll have to wait and see. But to that point on that you mentioned, John, before I weird on uh, on capital gains tax. That's where we've had so much interest and so much concern. What, what exactly are the What's the source of that concern, John? And how strong do you think it is that concern? What about capital gains tax? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I should have. Um, said. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, it's been floating around since um, um, since last year, really, and uh, and it, it's really been brought to the the public's attention because of the fact that the the Chancellor um, asked the Office of Tax Simplification if he could if they could come up with some proposals on capital gains tax. The actual terms of reference were to identify areas where the present CGT rules can distort behaviour and do not meet their policy intent. And I suppose the background to it is, is basically we're in a very favourable capital gains tax regime at the moment. Got an annual exemption of 12,300. Gains over and above that, if they fall within the basic rate tax band are taxed at 10%, above that 20%. Obviously, there's an increase in those rates if the gain relates to um, a, pro a residence, uh, a, um, a property residence there. The, the rates go up to 18 percent and 28 percent. So if you compare that to the top rate of income tax, you have got a bit of a mismatch in that top rate of income tax is 45 percent. The top rate of capital gains tax on, say, share realisation is 20 percent. So what's happened is the, the OT, OTS have come back uh, with their report and they've, they've looked at basically four areas of the CGT regime. The first one they've looked at is a possible alignment of the rates. That's not bringing them together, but perhaps more of an increase in the rate of CGT. And um, there they've looked at the sort of current rules and the distortion that the current rules um, give rise to. For example, at the moment, um, there's uh, th there's quite a lot of conversion of income into gains, you know, because obviously the gains are taxed at a lower rate. And so this means you've got loads of tax legislation to stop people benefiting if they do that. So if you introduce some sort of alignment of rates, um, it's going to perhaps prevent the need for that legislation on tax avoidance. But also it give rise to a load of other issues, for example, the need to average gains to avoid um, a, a massive gain, which has arisen over several years, being taxed in one year, a bit like the top slicing relief we get on bonds. Perhaps some allowance for inflation and a more flexible way in which losses can be used. And of course, you'd have to discourage people from realising gains within a company because, as Tony says, companies pay fairly low rates of cap uh, capital gains tax. They pay corporation tax on their capital gains. And that's only at 19%. And, and the other big issue, I think, about um, 
uh, an alignment of the rates is how that would impact on taxpayer behaviour. So would people tend to hold on to investments because they didn't want to realise them and pay higher rates of tax? Um, and the other factor is, of course, the old Laffer curve. The Laffer curve says that, you know, there's an optimum rate of tax beyond which people will take action to avoid tax. And in terms of capital gains tax, it's thought 28% is about the optimal rate. If you go above that, you're going to find that tax revenues may even go down. So that's the first area. Then there's the annual exemption. That Currently, that's 12,300. The OTS floated the idea of that going down to about between 2,000 and 5,000 pounds. If that happened, we'd have probably about 350,000 more people each year paying CGT. But it wouldn't really be the very wealthy who are impacted by this. It's going to be the, 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 the middle, middle rich, if you like. They also looked at employer share uh, incentives. So when an employer makes a payment to an employee by way of shares, should that be charged to income tax rather than capital gains tax? Because it's a, a remuneration, in effect, which arises because of employment. And they also looked at areas like what happens when somebody dies. At the moment, um, any assets passing will be revalued at their base value, being their market value at that time for the new owner of the shares. So if a father dies, and the shares were worth 5,000 when he bought them, they're now worth 10,000, and they pass on to the next generation, the next generation inherit them at 10,000. So the whole of that 5,000 gain drops out of account at that time. Um, and so the, uh, the proposal is there that perhaps that shouldn't happen, and perhaps the person inheriting the shares should pick them up at the base value of the original owner. And of course, if this rule came in, that could lead to a spate of panic dying, I suppose, just to benefit from the uh, current rules. They've also looked at th things like um, lifetime gifts as well. They've looked there at perhaps not having any capital gains tax at all on lifetime gifts, where the donee, again, gets a donor's base cost. And finally, they looked at entrepreneurs relief. I mean, that was tinkered with last year. That went down from 10 million to 1 million. It's now called business asset disposal relief. And the OTS thought, well, perhaps that should be more geared towards people realising gains on retirement. Currently, it is entrepreneurial gains that, that benefit. It doesn't matter what age the person benefits at. So that's what the OTS have reported on. It's been um, widely commented on in the press, in the press. And of course, um, the, <laughs> is no doubt about it. The Cabinet Office will have been looking at this and thinking, should we increase capital gains tax, make the re regime a bit more fierce in order to boost the revenue from that area? But I think a lot of people feel that the instruction to the OTS was more about really the government, government gauging public political appetite for an increase in CGT rates. So the general view is we're not going to get substantial reforms, but we may get some tinkering just to boost the, the input to the Treasury. Um, and don't forget Boris Johnson's recent statement, jobs, 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 not tax, tax, tax. So he may be inclined not to increase the, the rates and make the system far too fierce at the current time. So that's really where we're up to on capital gains tax, I think. That really does underline 
how wide that brief was to the OTS, more than is normal. It's normally about simplification. So I think that sort of just testing the temperature is a really good point you made there, Jim, because CGT generates, what, about £10 billion. And the interesting fact, I, I found it interesting when someone told me is that only about a quarter of a million people pay capital gains tax. So politically, and half of the tax is bought by about 10,000 people. So politically, that could be a tax that maybe doesn't cause too much anxiety if it were changed. I see, like you, I think part of an overall review of capital taxes and not necessarily immediately. But given that, and we both had questions, I know, on this, is there anything we should say to or recommend to those people who are maybe a bit spooked by this and say, should I sell down all of my investments ahead of the budget? Or should I try and sell my company before the budget because the rules now will only get worse? What do you think? Relation? Well, the first thing I'd say is you haven't got much time to sell your company. Good point. Absolutely good point. But um, no, I, I don't think you need a knee jerk reaction on this. Um, there's no guarantees there's going to be a change. Uh, what I would say is make sure you use your CGT exemption. So if it's a husband and wife, both should perhaps even a child CGT exemption if you can and do that before the budget just in case the CGT exemption does come down. Um, secondly, if you're thinking about realising gains now seriously and you're thinking about realising them over the next month, try and bring that forward. So if you're thinking about um, encashing a share portfolio, seriously thinking about it now, you should perhaps bring that decision forward and make sure you do it before the budget in case there is a change in the budget. But I wouldn't say that you embark on a complete review of your share portfolio just because of this speculation. Um, it's, it's really just a question of being reasonable about it and, and taking reasonable action. As I said, I think uh, a lot of this is to, to gauge the public feeling about increases in CGT. And we, we will see some, some changes, but I don't think we'll see anything dramatic famous last words. <laughs> I think that's really sensible sound advice, I think, really. The old adage of don't let the tax tail wag the dog rings true here, I think, as well. If you're going to do it anyway, as John said, then, yeah, definitely, you might as well do it ahead of the budget. And that probably applies as, as well to some aspects of pensions, doesn't it, Claire? With all of, whenever we have a budget, there's talk of, will there be any further pension changes or any pension changes? And every single year you get a bit not weary of it, but it's important. <laughs> but this year, perhaps more than others, because there's more of a concentration on government debt and getting money in if there's motivation to get money in and, and the so-called cost of pensions tax relief. Do you have a view on that, please? I know the listeners would really want that. <laughs> I, I do. And you, you know, I do. Um, um, I have very strong views on uh, on all the things we get asked. And I think it's safe to say I do get weary with the with the queries that come in. I mean, I think my being in the industry for for 20 years and I think every single year someone's someone's asked is tax relief, uh, is tax free cash going to go? Um, and, uh, and and every year it hasn't. But that doesn't mean we haven't seen changes. Um, it, it's really important. Tax The tax-free cash um, has, has remained at 25% for most people since um, since 2006. It was a bit higher for, for people um, who were in occupational schemes prior to 2006. But the important point is that every time there's been a change, there's been a protection. Uh, and that's a, something to rely on. There's never been any major retrospective changes to pensions. Uh, so we, when we saw in 2006 people who had protected tax-free cash of even up to 100%, they can still access that tax-free cash as long as they've met the rules of the protection. When we've seen the lifetime allowance change, again, you're entitled to 25% of the lifetime allowance. When that's come down, you've been able to protect the higher allowances if you were 
eligible for them at the time and met the requirements for the protection. So not everyone will have been protected. But we haven't seen major changes of things being cut where there hasn't been an availability for you to protect what you've built up in the past. And I think that's something to remember. Um, however, I would say if you are accessing your tax-free cash for any reason in just the same way as John said, if you're planning on doing it before tax year end, maybe plan on doing it a little bit sooner. You never know. It's just in case one day I, I might be proved wrong. But I'm fairly confident the tax-free cash, as it stood for historical contributions, um, I'm fairly confident will remain. But there's many other things that, that could be tweaked uh, within within the pensions world. All the allowances, so the lifetime allowance and the annual allowance um, have been tweaked over the years. So we saw uh, the, the lifetime allowance always all the way up to 1.8 million, then all the way back down to a million. And, and each time it's changed, again, protections have been put in place. But they could be ways to raise tax that's been brought in uh, to the exchequer. Um, I think, Tony, I, I think you mentioned earlier that the the, the the amount that they're looking to raise is about 40 billion. Um, and uh, pension tax relief, whether the figures are accurate or not, um, is estimated around 38 billion. But I don't think that means that they're going to scrap tax relief uh, in its entirety because that actually wouldn't work. There's lots of moving parts to the tax relief. We always get the questions about flat rate tax relief. Would they bring in flat rate? Will they get rid of higher rate? Um, all those different things. But it's it's not something that they can announce one day and implement the next. Um, it's really important to consider that it will have knock-on effects to employers. It'll have knock-on effects to defined benefit schemes. It would be relatively easy for a money purchase personal pension type scheme to make a change, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy for all the other types of scheme and all the historical things that we've seen going on. So regarding tax relief uh, generally and pensions generally, um, I probably would have thought that the, the most we're likely to see is another review announced. However, we did see uh, back last year, uh, the Public Accounts Committee call for a review um, and, the, and the government responded and said not in the next 12 months. So that next 12 months, that was September. So not in the next 12 months wouldn't mean that it was it was going to happen in this budget. But that doesn't mean that they can't announce a planned review in the future for some point this year. So but again, nothing to panic about, but always worth um, considering what you're doing and when you're doing it uh, to determine what you you should be doing at any one point. You certainly, you always can't rule it out, just especially at this time, given the amounts involved. Really, uh, you know, so I, I totally agree with you on that. If you were, if you were saying, what are the, you know, the, maybe the three things or the key things you should be considering before the budget? So as a checklist, at least consider or think about this as a as a client or an advisor to a client. What would they be in relation to pensions? Just check you haven't. Just check you can't. That kind of thing. I, th I think it's to me, it's all about the adjusted net income calculation. So it's not just about pensions, but it's it's the knock on effect of making pension contributions because there are other things that these have knock on effects. The adjusted net income calculation is, is basically what you're paying income tax on. And by making pension contributions, you can reduce that down. It has impacts on things like uh, the personal allowance, for example. So you can make contributions to bring yourself below the 100,000. You can make contributions to bring yourself below the 60,000 
thousand or the fifty thousand child benefit limit. So you can you can make contributions now, and they're all different things that could be impacted, for example, by something that happens in the budget that's not necessarily pensions related. So I would urge people, and I think you've said it before, Tony, that we should think about tax year end as possibly not tax year end, possibly budget day. So if you can make these calculations and you have a good idea of what your earnings are this year, then to think about doing things sooner rather than later. Uh, and 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 also, it's actually a lot easier to try and do things sooner rather than later. Anyone that's worked in the pensions industry for any amount of time will hate tax year end. Uh, it turns us grey because people are trying to get calculations done, trying to get contributions in. Uh, and a really important thing to remember this year, tax year end isn't the 5th of April. Tax year end is the 1st of April. A good point. You made that last week to me. It's a really good point. I've used it since. Thank you, Claire. Yeah, so we've got, yeah well, Easter. Easter is getting in the way. So we've got a Good Friday on the 2nd and Easter Monday on the 5th. So do make sure you're not leaving anything until the last minute. And that, I mean, that's good financial planning anyway, but just making sure that you're not scrabbling around that week before Easter when the kids are on holiday trying to get paperwork done and track people down. So really important to to try and do all those kind of calculations um, as soon as possible. Another good area for um, pension contributions is people who have realised capital gains, which are taking them over their higher rate tax threshold. And similarly, charge event gains under single premium bonds. I mean, you can sometimes see quite substantial tax savings by combining a bond encashment, which you think you're going to pay a lot of tax on, with a pension contribution, which brings the tax rate right down into basic rate, if at all, if it's a UK bond. Yeah, it's bringing all those different aspects together to not just think of any one of these taxes in isolation, uh, because if you're doing holistic planning, then you can you can do exactly as John said, to, to make encashments as well as pension contributions to, to mitigate the tax in two ways. So you're getting more tax relief from your pension and you're not paying as much tax cash the tax on your encashments. Are there any are there any sensitivities around death benefits and tax free death the inheritance tax free death benefits, Claire, that you've picked up? There hasn't been anything particular that's necessarily sort of uh, floating around about that. I mean, every, again, ever since the changes that were brought in with the the pensions uh, death benefits being seen to be very, very sort of uh, generous. So no income tax if you died before 75, um, then people have always thought this is too good to be true. Um, and the fear that the government are suddenly going to take it back. Um, I think it's great and I think it's a really good planning thing because it means that you might think about taking income from other sources because you're protecting those death benefits in that generally IHT friendly environment um, and should the worst happen and you die pre-75, you're going to get income tax free. And it might seem that actually the government's losing out on loads of money here. But in my cynical head, I think the government were quite clever here. It's a really good thing to show people that it looks really generous. But generally, if you're wealthy um, and you've got enough money that you can put significant monies into pensions, you're that little bit healthier possibly, uh, and you're likely to be able to uh, leave your pension monies until 75 or, or actually just live that bit longer. And then they will be subject to income tax because you die post 75. So it's probably not the giveaway that everyone thought it was, um, but you never know. Um, but there's not a lot you can do about it. So I wouldn't suggest panic dying at this point in time. Love that. Um, it's my perfect segue into the next section with inheritance tax, actually. Um, point on decumulation also is that point, isn't it? 
if you, when you're thinking about taking money down, you're likely to be a little bit older, not necessarily, but likely to be, in which case IHT will be more important. And that classic point of the natural place might be take the money from the pension, but the worst place might be take the money from the, might, the worst advice might be take the money from the pension, given it's IHT freedom. Now, IHT is a subject that we do talk a lot about in this sector, isn't it? And um, I mean, and it's an odd thing to me, the latest YouGov survey, it was a little while back, well, which reminded us one that IHT doesn't generate a huge amount compared to the other personal taxes, but it is the tax that most people find most annoying, as right, the greatest capacity to get people angry. And the OTS, the Office of Tax Simplification, were asked to look at this a good while back now. I think it was Philip Hammond who asked them, wasn't it, John? And and what's happened since then? That that review. What did one? What did they say? And and what do you think is likely to happen, if anything, as a result of that review? Of inheritance tax. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Well, inheritance tax has become um, a little bit more fruitful for the Treasury because in 2018-19 it was up to 5.4 billion, dipped a bit the following year to 5.2 billion, probably as a result of the residents' nil rate band coming into full effect. But it's still pretty high, and the expectation uh, this year is that uh, there'll be an extra 20% of the number of estates which will be subject to inheritance tax. That's an OBR estimation. And, and that really represents the fact that um, asset values have still gone up, property values have gone up this year. And of course, a number of people have died, unfortunately, as a result of the pandemic, without taking any planning action, without having a chance to. Um, Anyway, it's against that background and the fact that inheritance tax is quite complicated and I suppose it's fairly easy to avoid if you take action early enough that the government asked the OTS for an investigation into it in the autumn of 2019. And when the OTS came back, they made recommendations in, in four broad areas. That was the taxation of lifetime gifts, the interaction of inheritance tax with capital gains tax, how businesses and farms are taxed, so that's the good old business property relief, or, or now called business relief, and um, how life policies and pension plans should be subject to inheritance tax, although not in the same area that Claire's just commented on, more of a technical area. And what they sort of came back with was they said that we should rationalise the rules on small gifts, that's the 3,000 annual exemption, 250 small gifts exemption, and the marriage gift exemption and just have one overall figure per annum. So nothing was really stated there, although the suggestion was it should be around 11,000, which would represent the £3,000 annual exemption being increased by RPI since it was introduced. They also looked at normal expenditure out of income exemption. Now, currently, you know that you can make gifts out of income of whatever size and provided they're made on a regular basis and don't impact on your standard of living, they will be exempt from inheritance tax. So you don't have to live seven years and they'll be exempt even if they go into trust. Well, the OTS recommendation was a simplification there, remove this regular condition and perhaps just wrap it up in a higher personal allowance. And they recommended 25,000. Now, interestingly, a little bit after the OTS report, we we also had all party parliamentary group report. So there's a lot of uh, acronyms here, the APPG group, which also recommended that that should happen and the figure should be about 30,000. Coming back to the OTS, they, they thought the seven year gifting period 
should go down to five years. So if you survive five years, it drops out of account. They recommended getting rid of taper relief altogether because the tax take on people dying up five and seven years after a gift is relatively small. They also thought the, the way the nil rate band applies should be rationalised. So should it apply to lifetime gifts made within the seven years in priority to the death estate? That should be looked at and made fairer. In terms of the interaction with capital gains tax, they looked at the, the way that the value of an asset passing to the next generation is uplifted on death for capital gains tax purposes in the way I discussed earlier, and whether that should apply in cases where there was no inheritance tax, because perhaps there was business relief there or the spouse exemption applied. They also looked at business property relief and thought that perhaps the, um, the need for a company to trade to get business asset relief should increase from 50% to 80%. So it should be predominantly a trading company, not just trading in the, in the majority of its activities. And the other thing they looked at, as I mentioned earlier, was, was inheritance tax on pensions and particularly the complexity we have on inheritance tax on pension transfers made by somebody in serious ill health who dies within two years. That should all be rationalised. And there was also a suggestion that five year term, sorry, term insurance doesn't have to be written in trust for the proceeds to be free of inheritance tax. So all in all, there was there was quite a lot that they discussed there. And this was about sort of, I suppose, 18 months ago now. And nothing has really happened, but it's sitting there. And clearly the OTS feel that there is capacity for rationalisation in the system. So that's what happened, Tony, basically. It was quite broad, but not as broad as the, the CGT review, but there's still quite a bit in there. And probably unsurprising they haven't looked at it because they've had other... Well, if they haven't looked at it, they've been very quiet about it because they've had other more pressing things to look at. Would you would we be right in saying there was nothing directly in there that people should worry about in relation to the sort of plans that we know and love, loan trusts and discounted gift trusts or anything on business relief to be worried about in the context of that OTS review? Well, I, I, I don't think in the current climate, because of what's going on with the economy generally and the government have got so much on their plate, yeah. um, we would expect wide-scale reform of inheritance tax to be announced. I think it's something that is going to happen down the line, but possibly not yet. But if there were going to be changes, one area they could pick up on some of these OTS recommendations. For example, if you're somebody who uh, has got quite a bit of excess ex um, income over expenditure at the moment, so you've got scope to make substantial gifts within your normal expenditure exemption, it might be worth starting that series of gifting before the budget Great point. so that if you know if, if your excess income over expenditure exceeds say twenty five thousand pounds get that pattern of gifting started now before any changes occur which may result in the level of expended the level of exemption reducing i suppose if you're thinking about making a gift now a substantial gift we've got a very favorable regime in the pet regime so if you're on that on the fence and you're thinking, um, shall I do it now or shall I do it in April? Do it now. The same if you're going to set up a loan trust or discounted gift trust. If you're giving serious thought to that, perhaps do it before the budget rather than after the budget when there might be a change. We don't know. And I, I, I think the same thing applies with uh, an investment into 
an investment that gives you business property relief because that's an area which is always a little bit vulnerable anyway so if you're thinking about do it do it sooner rather than later seriously think that. that's that's always what i say i wouldn't say change your whole approach to planning because of this speculation but if you're sort of 70 percent down the road to taking action this could be just a catalyst to bring that action forward I think that's such a strong and valid point, and Claire's made it too. I think we all go along with that. Really, really good point. When you come to inheritance tax planning and, and, and capital assets generally, I'm going to ask you again, John, as I know it's one of your specialist subjects, but you know, property is such an important part of people's overall wealth. And for many people, one of the, if not the main reason why they have to think about inheritance tax. Um, and there's always concern around property taxation and the government's seem seemingly sort of very aggressive attitude to any property that isn't your main residence. What could we expect, if anything, anything more? Is there anything more that can be done in relation to property taxation that you see, John? Well, short of wealth tax, which I think we'll come on to in a second, with with um, property taxation, we do know that the, um, the government are reviewing the whole area of, of property taxation. There has been leaks and the cabinet office are looking at this and have engaged with um, a, a couple of firms to do research and come back with recommendations. Um, I don't think these will take place this year, but it's something again, which we may see down the road. Um, and it seems that what they're looking at is getting rid of stamp duty and getting rid of council tax completely and replace it with a proportionate property tax, which will apply a percentage tax to the value of a property on a certain date, and that date may apply for the next five years, say. And doing the number crunching, it seems that if you wanted to preserve the status quo in terms of revenue to the Treasury by getting rid of council tax and um, abolishing stamp duty, you'd have to have a property tax of 0.48% of the value of your house. That would preserve the status quo. And um, of course, the, the people who would benefit from this mainly would be in those red wall seats in the north of England that the government are quite keen to do something for. Um, is that property value net of mortgage or? or well, we don't know. This is pure speculation, okay. but it, it could well be net of mortgage, uh, although you, that applies for inheritance tax, but it doesn't yeah. apply for stamp duty. It doesn't apply for stamp duty or council tax. So I probably wouldn't be, but it's a good question. <laughs> um, and it, it would depend on the, the value of your property, how much you pay. If it, I mean, on 0.48%, if your property was worth 150,000, you'd pay 720 quid a year. Um, if it was a million, you'd pay 4,800 a year, which is quite a lot, considering there's a number of properties, which residences, which would be worth 1 million or more. Um, so it's something that's there and something that may well come in that the government feel that stamp duty can slow down the transfer of property, can put people off moving and so forth. I know we've got the stamp duty holiday at the moment, but it, it, it can slow people down. So, again, that's another reason for, for that particular tax to go to to make uh, to bring more activity into the, the property market. And I think we'll just we we'll just have to wait and see. But of course, you know, property is very much linked to to wealth tax, and we had a report on that. You you looked at that, didn't you, Tony? In some yeah, I, I did. Looked at that. Went to the video presentation as well. And and property is quite an, yeah an important part of most people's wealth. And that wealth tax commission report, which like so many reports and consultations, when it goes to the headlines, people 
assume quite understandably, I think that it's almost government policy, but this was, was just, it's not even an OTS report, it was effectively a think tank, some research sponsored by the London School of Economics that gave rise to people looking again at, at wealth tax in the news. Uh, we know the government responded to wealth tax in Prime Minister's question times last year, and the Chancellor and the Prime Minister have both seemed to set against a wealth tax in principle. Um, but you know, they're just, they're just words hopefully reflecting for many reflecting official policy but that without spending too long on this the, the wealth tax commission report suggested if we wanted to get a lump of money if the government were looking were motivated by get by getting money in to help support or repay the debt incurred as a result of the economic support given through the pandemic then they should look at new taxes as well as changing existing taxes in the way that we've just been discussing um, so wealth tax came up and they just said, look, if we were looking to get 260 billion, which is a reminder to us that that was the level of the debt at the time they started their review, because by the time they finished, it was 400 billion. But they, they said a one-off tax of 5% on all property payable by all people in the UK. There were some rules around residency, so people couldn't then just flee as soon as the tax came in, because they look back. If you've been resident in five out of seven years or four out of seven years, then you'd be caught anyway. Although one would question if you went and took all your money with you and getting the money paid might, might be a bit of a challenge for the government. But so they just said that was the thing that gave rise to some concern, saying, OK, here's what the tax would be. 500,000 exemption, as it were, nil rate now, and everything over and above that, including your pensions, including your property, actually no exceptions, no exclusions, everything subject to tax at 5%. And we'd let you pay it over five years with interest running on the amount that you hadn't paid left outstanding. So 1% a year on the total value of your property after deducting 500,000, everything. Clearly it gives rise to, it would have given rise to liquidity issues when you go, well, what about my property? I haven't sold it. I'm asset rich, but not cash rich. How about my pension? How about that? How are we going to treat trust? So all of that, to be fair to the report, I mean, that, um, Emma Chamberlain was one of the people behind that. There was some, it was basically academics, lawyers, tax specialists uh, and administrators all contributing to what was a very well written report. But all of those liquidity issues were dealt with, with largely the ability to defer the tax until gains were realised or pensions were taken, or you got reached state retirement age. But you can see the challenge that will give rise to. It apparently had a lot of, of, of public support for a wealth tax, but like many taxes, the corporate tax I mentioned earlier, people tend to support taxes when it doesn't affect them too badly. Um, so where we are is that was out there not as government policy, definitely not, not as an OTS report, but as a wealth tax commission, quite coherent in terms of what it put forward. It seems that when they, they rejected, as most countries around the world have, an annual wealth tax. So this was very much a one-off tax. And what I really loved, it said it may fly better if we called it not a wealth tax, but a COVID recovery tax. So people would then sort of go out and metaphorically clap for it, you know, because it would be something we should all contribute to. So it's out there. It's uh, I don't think it has as high status as OTS and, and the resort reports John's been talking about. Um, and one would think Gutfield wouldn't see that being introduced by a conservative government. Again, you can never tell, but it may give them sort of renewed vigour to review capital taxes generally, not necessarily immediately, as John had said, but when they get round to it and look at reviewing the existing taxes rather than introducing a new one. And to be honest, you know, there's not much you can do about it. If you're thinking, what should I do about a wealth tax if one was coming in in this budget, which I honestly don't think it will, but there's not much you could do about it, to be honest, unless you gave everything away completely and owned nothing. So, um, 
that's where we are with that. It's uh, all covered on, a, as all of the stuff we've been talking about uh, is all covered on uh, within TechLink through TechLink bulletins and library content. There's, so a that, been, there's been a couple of um, uh, comments recently about um, government policy. I, I mean, an interesting one I, I thought was the leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer, sorry, Sir Keir Starmer, saying that he didn't feel that, that taxes should be increased and the emphasis. Yeah should be placed on economic recovery, which, which is quite good. But th there was also this, this, this statement that there could be um, a reactivation of some of the stealth taxes. And and so the the personal allowance and the higher rate tax threshold should increase by um, RPI this year, because we've now got to you know 2020 when that commitment was given. And the suggestion is that perhaps they will freeze those for the next few years, which um, I think if you freeze those for like three years, that is equivalent to perhaps a 1% increase in the basic rate of tax eventually. So it can generate, you know, about 20, 20 billion pounds of, uh, of revenue. So we could see a bit of that happening, I think, over uh, in the budget. Yeah. And that's been done before, hasn't it? Really? And, yeah. and, would, and would allow the Conservatives to say we are keeping our promise. As I mentioned earlier, we haven't increased rates, but in a stealth like way, we have done these other things. Could they do, is there, what, what would they do in, around pensions if they were to take that view? Like we're not changing pensions relief, but we're doing something, Claire, that, that would enable us to pay less out or give less relief. Uh, the only thing they, they could be really regarding the annual allowance, yeah. uh, in all honesty, to to limit what can go in and and get tax relief. Because yeah. the annual allowance, um, you can pay in way and above it because it is an allowance. Um, but what will happen is they'll claw back the tax relief that they give you via self-assessment. So the, that's the, the sort of tweaking around the edges that you you could see um, that's been talked about. I think, it, again, it feels a little unlikely, but given the, the changes that they put in last year to try and uh, mitigate the tax charges that the, the doctors were seeing, uh, particularly regarding uh, all the overtime that the, the NHS were doing with regards to, to, to protecting us against COVID. So um, I, it feels it feels wrong at this point in time uh, but that never means that it won't happen do you think they could um cancel the increase the automatic increase each year in the lifetime allowance i think that goes they, up to cpi doesn't it they could yeah i mean it's only going up by half a percent this year so it's not going to make a, a huge difference but yeah it is something that has to be put in every year although it was a, a promise that they they planned to do it um, but they could, in, in theory, change legislation uh, and not put that in. Obviously, we haven't seen we haven't seen the actual statutory instrument that changes it yet. Yeah, so I, I suspect that's what time, we'll see. Over a period of years, that could amount to quite a bit, couldn't it? You know, it could, yeah. Especially if inflation went up and so forth. It, you know. So, yeah, I mean, we were estimating that it would probably be about eight years when we went down to the million to to get all the way back up to the 1.25 um, levels. But obviously, that's going to take a bit longer now with with CPI being lower. Uh, yeah. And then if they were to to stop it for a year or two, uh, then then that could have uh, uh, make that even longer before we get back up to the levels that we'd seen previously. Yeah. As we draw to a close on this, which we unfortunately have to, because I could talk all day about this to get, I can learn from you two all day. So thank you for that. We've got CPD out of this, I think. Um, that put triple lock and pension, state pensions, which is often mentioned and could be quite expensive, couldn't it? Could they do a similar kind of thing? What do you, what's the temperature like at the moment in relation to that particular change? 
It's, I mean, it, it's again, it was a promise. It was a promise yeah. to keep the triple lock in place, but it's not in legislation, important point. Um, so it's not forced in every year, the triple lock. Um, I think the, the big issue is national average earnings. Uh, we obviously saw that was negative for the, the change that's coming about this April. Um, so we saw that it come in at 2.5% of the increase because it was national average, uh, national average earnings was negative. Uh, CPI was only half a percent. And so um, what we saw is, is the two and a half percent kick in. But if we see a bounce back in earnings next year, which is probably not necessarily next year, but it might be the year after, which, that's a significant bounce back. It could be way and above the two and a half that we, we've seen this year. Um, and, and I think that could be really detrimental to the amount of money that's going on. Really positive for pensioners, I have to say, um, but they, they shouldn't be seen as necessarily um, those people to target to get some money back in the in the coffers so it's a really difficult one but it could see and you could see an extreme increase uh if the triple lock is left in place and we see a massive bounce back in nae yeah good point i'm um, to, to close you've both given such great sort of ideas and tips ahead of this but one more chance for you to say the one thing that, that you would say ahead of the budget or one phrase you would use ahead of the budget to give guidance say i'll start with you claire on pensions uh it would be this Utilise all your allowances while you can, as you would as if it was the end of the tax year. Beautifully put. And John? Mine would be to use your CGT exemption because we've had a bit of a bounce back in share values. You can't carry your CGT exemption forward, so it's sensible to use it anyway. And as I said earlier, there is a slight risk. It may reduce. So use all your CGT exemptions. Thanks both. Some really good tips throughout that session which i've really really enjoyed there we are it's our, our thoughts on what might or more likely perhaps might not be in this budget but remember we do have another one coming down the track in whatever autumn is and we might see a little bit more then in, in of, of definite change we might get some indication a kind of roadmap maybe a bit like we might get with the the prime minister we'll get a, a roadmap possibly of what we're going to do about this because we do need to at least show the outside world, as it were, that we're a, a reasonable country, that we are taking steps, that we will be taking steps. And if you want to invest in this country through buying our gilts, then we're not someone not to trust in terms of getting our public finances right. So if we leave aside the timing of any changes, it seems certain to me is that tax and tax planning from everything John and Claire have said is going to remain a very hot topic and a very much in demand service. So. Before closing, I would remind you once again that tax year end, my thing is stealing from Claire, is tax year end this year. We should think of the 1st of April or maybe even to John's point, the 3rd of March. If you're going to do it, maybe do it earlier rather than later, just in case. Um, parts of your tax and financial planning strategy have already been decided, then get it done before the 3rd of March and at the very least the 1st of April, just because of the way Easter works this year. So I'll close with saying thanks again to John and to Claire and have a great tax year end, everyone. The content of this podcast is strictly for general consideration only. No action must be taken or refrained from based on the content alone. Professional advice must always be sought. Accordingly, neither Technical Connection Limited nor any of its officers, employees or contractors take responsibility for any loss occasioned as a result of any such action or inaction.